everyone. Welcome back to Internet Report's bi-weekly Pulse update, where we keep our finger on the pulse of how the internet is holding up week over week. And what an interesting two weeks it's been. Today we'll be discussing some Twitter disruption, the aftermath of a ransomware attack, a software release that resulted in some DNS resolution issues, and how a quickly executed manual process lessened the pain for some concert goers in Australia. And of course, we'll also cover the global outage trends. With so many interesting things to cover, let's start with the download. My TLDR summary of what you absolutely need to know about this internet this week in two minutes or less. Twitter experienced two outages in five days. The first saw users greeted with an empty timeline along with the welcome to Twitter message. The site itself appeared to be functional, could still be reached, trending topics worked and users could still tweet, but the timeline did not render properly and was blank. This was followed five days later when a modification to an API prevented some users globally from accessing the service. Dish Network was also forced to pair back to only the most essential online presence when it became a ransomware victim, when they more or less fell off the internet for a period of time, appearing to cut off connectivity for all their services, both internally and customer-facing, before slowly restoring partial service and essential services. Looking at global outreach trends, we also saw total outage numbers rise briefly before resuming their downward trend, while US outages increased consistently, accounting for 33% of all outages. And now let's dive in further. As always, I've included the chapter links in the description box below, so you can skip ahead in the sections to those that are most interesting to you. We'd also love you to hit like and subscribe, and always feel free to email us at internetreport at thousandeyes.com. We welcome your feedback and questions. And to discuss all of this, it's a great have you back, Kamal. Uh, I think the last time we did this, we were actually filming a spontaneous episode from Cisco Live uh, in Amsterdam, working out of a makeshift studio, complete with an upturned trash can and Coke can for counterbalance. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's uh, awesome to be on the inter Internet Pulse again. Uh, yeah, what a time at Cisco Live in Amsterdam. That was really fun and, you know, crafty, I must say. It was, it was good. It was good fun. All right, then. So let's take a look at the numbers this week. Global outages initially reversed the downward trend seen over the previous two weeks, rising initially from 316 to 337, which is a 7% increase when compared to February 20th, 26. However, that downward trend we saw before uh, returned the next week, and where the global outages dropped from 337 to 271, a 20% decrease to, uh, compared to previous weeks. Now, now this is what we're seeing uh, typically. We actually kind of see this as a, as a, as a normal trend. Um, if we go back to the previous year, this is what we've seen like a calendar trend coming across there. Uh, but this pattern wasn't reflected domestically. We saw the upward trend observed over the previous two-week period, uh, where we initially increased from 62 to 95, which is a 53% increase compared to February 2026. And this was followed by another rise uh, from 95 to 105, which is an 11% increase compared to previous weeks. And this is kind of what I want to look at. Now, we, we've talked about this before, um, but where we, we, we saw the number of uh, US outages rise, it normally impacts or uh, uh, reflects in the global uh, outages we see coming up from there. But again, this is this is sort of the second week we've actually sort of seen this this happen. What this then means is that the, the US-centric outages account for a, a large proportion of it. So, so I have a theory about this, um, and, and my theory is that uh, what we're starting to see is almost this control of the uh, the, the, the blast radius, as it were. So when we're doing some sort of change, and a lot of these, as we've talked about in the past, are uh, maintenance engineering type of work because of the time of day they're done, we're actually seeing um, they're able to control this. We're not seeing so much of a domino effect. You know, like a change 
uh, in North America. It's sort of the only way that's going to, uh, uh, or has an impact that sort of directly flows down to the other parts of the world that then reflects in the, in the global outages. Does that make sense or my sort of way off base there? No, you are not. And to your point, it's actually quite good to see that, you know, even though um, outages in U.S. are rising, the global number is uh, going down. Uh, you know, uh, to your point, it's a good and positive trend. You know, uh, it looks like people started, uh, you know, taking resiliency and uh, change management procedure or operational excellence, for that matter, much more seriously than that was the historical historical case, right? So hopefully we see this trend, you know, uh, both for U.S. and global going down. You know, ultimately we want to see this number as, uh, yeah. as small as possible. But you know, like being completely realistic, outages are going to happen. It's, you know, to to which extent they are going to happen, that's that remains to be seen. But absolutely, your point. Outages will will continue to occur, um, and what hopefully what we'll see is that blast radius, that impact zone for necessary maintenance um, uh, and engineering work, continue to sort of shrink down as we're able to control it and keep it um, um, contained. Now let's discuss some of the outages from the past couple of weeks as we go under the hood. They do say beware the Ides of March, and although technically that's the 15th of March, we also saw some disruptions in early March this year, including Twitter. The first was on March the 1st, uh, where Twitter users agreed with an empty timeline and a welcome to Twitter message, as if they'd just set up the account and logged in for the first time. The site itself appeared to be functional. It could still be reached. Trending topics were, users could still tweet, but the timeline, which normally uh, displays the recent tweets from accounts, users, and the following, uh, did not render properly. It was blank, so you just got in that uh, that screen. But but what I want to focus on really was the second outage that occurred five days later on March the sixth, uh, when around uh, 3:45 p.m. UTC, Twitter users globally uh, began receiving HTTP, HTTP 403 forbidden errors, uh, which prevented some of them being able to access the service or click on links uh, or, or tweets. So, Kamal, do you want to just sort of take us through what we saw? Uh, absolutely, looking forward to it. So uh, what we are seeing here is the are, are the application outages from our internet insights, and as you can see here, the Twitter outage was clearly captured uh, on this view. So on the timeline, we can see that uh, starting. Uh, 1645 UTC on 6th of March, uh, the outage got recorded and it lasted as visible here uh, until uh, 7050 UTC. Now, looking at the uh, different metrics, uh, we can quite clearly see that approximately uh, 100 servers or 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 some, somewhere around that uh, number were affected during this outage. And when it comes to locations, we can see uh, quite interesting spread of uh, these servers being located in, uh, you know, United States, South Africa, Japan, United Kingdom, and other, other regions. In fact, if I switch over to the metric code locations, we are going to see that uh, approximately 26 locations were affected uh, globally. So uh, we are here grouping by the applications, but we can do something similar to a server network as part of which we can see that uh, quite obviously Twitter um, autonomous system uh, was affected. Uh, if we uh, hover over this uh, 147 number here uh, and we click um, 
details of this, we can see that uh, users, uh, to your point, Mike, were getting HTTP uh, 403s. In fact, like we showed it as 4XX response code for from majority of the agents that were affected. So this is what we saw in the um, uh, internet uh, insights, uh, more specifically application outages part of it. Uh, now we're going to share the uh, page load test to see uh, more details about uh, this particular issue and how it looks from uh, look from the uh, performance related uh, perspective uh, from that test. Page load tests are actually the tests that are quite good at showing, uh, you know, user experience. So, so effectively, uh, one of our software components called a browser bot has capability to execute a page load tests, which is essentially simulating what user would do when they are opening the page. And we have transaction tests as well, as part of which you can quite easily script complete workflow. In this case, we are looking at the Twitter.com as a target URL and page load um, page load view. And we can see that the metric that's selected is uh, page load time. Now, looking at the event, you, you can quite obviously uh, see that uh, on average, it took like 3.91 seconds uh, to, to uh, for the page load to complete for Twitter. And all of a sudden, when the outage uh, struck, uh, essentially, we can see that that went to 450 milliseconds. Now, you know, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people at Twitter would be uh, would like to see this as a normal behavior, but unfortunately, we know that it wasn't the case. So that decrease in page load time, and again, it, this is a page load time ac uh, across multiple different agents. So, in fact, if I click here on the table, you can quite obviously see that this test is executed by tens of uh, different agents, right? So, on average, uh, it takes approximately four seconds. I think this is really important, and I, I do love the, um, the 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 page load test because said because it shows what the end users uh, uh experiencing around from there and you, you mentioned about the, the page dropping so we, we now know that this was um a change to an api across from there but what we're seeing on there is that page isn't loading so similar back to the one where we had the um uh, people getting the welcome page what this is is we get the connectivity coming in so we actually see a connection point coming in but then if I'm looking at that page load, it looks all the green lights are on. I'm getting to the page. I can actually start to see stuff, but it just doesn't render properly. It just goes through and shows a partial one. I say in this case, I think you can show this is what we see is that the 403s means we're actually making a call to something else. And that's some sort of uh, authentication that's then being sort of knocked back. You don't have the, um, the authority to actually execute that. Exactly. And uh, to your point, and we spoke before about this uh, as well, you know, very often, regardless of what's a company that's affected by a similar issue, you know, you start by asking yourself, is this problem with my infrastructure or it's actually somewhere else, right? And having this kind of view uh, actually can give you a really quick answer to that question. Now, all of these agents at the same time when they are probing application itself, synthetically, they are also trying to execute uh uh, path visualization probing is part of which we are trying to check uh, whether there's pocket loss latency or jitter. And then we are trying to visualize uh, the pod between the agents that are executing this test and the target itself. And uh, as visible here, there was none of that, right? Which indicates that this was clearly application related issue. Uh, each, uh, like there's no pocket loss that would explain a significant dip in availability, you know, and, you know, which further reaffirms our uh, theory that this was 100% related with 
uh, application itself having the issues rather than you know uh, network having the problems to reach the resource. Yeah, and that, that, that's really good. And so, so just to, to, to emphasize your point there, why it's important to be able to see that whole exchange is because we can identify there's a problem on the network. So if it, we're saying if there's a network issue to see maybe a high loss rate, you might have seen a break in that path or something down from there. But, but the fact we're seeing it, we're seeing a 403, means we're actually getting a response, means we're actually sort of executing it from there and then combine those two together, those layers together. So that complete service delivery chain, because the fact then, so we know this was an API call. They've actually come, Twitter come out and said, we made a change to an API and it had sort of these issues there. So we're, we're calling a service. That could have been a third party service for all we know. But what we're doing is testing that functionality coming through that system. Well, it actually was a third party in some cases. So some of the people were reporting where they actually were going to um, a sort of post or do things into another application, then they actually couldn't do that from a fee perspective. So yeah, important to see that service delivery chain. Uh, and and it's important to mention that you know HTTP server uh, is essentially agent to server test as part of which we are probing the target right from the uh, specified set of agents in this particular case, and you know uh, it's very important to mention here uh, these two. Uh, phases of the test, send and receive. Uh, send is essentially, uh, you know, the time it takes to send the first byte to the server and receive is the time it takes to receive one. Now, if we saw the receive having the problems, we would straight away have a capability to say that potentially something on the return path was something that was problematic. So for, for example, we know that uh, internet is asynchronous in, in its nature. So that the, the, the path that traffic takes on the way to the target is likely going to be different on the return path, right? Like uh, essentially from the path that takes from the server to the, uh, to the agent that executed the test in the first place. So in this case, we see none of that. Like essentially a receive is completely green for every single agent, which indicates that everything from the network side was working fine. It's like purely HTTP related issue. So that's right, uh, Kamal. That was really interesting as we sort of went through there. So carrying on this minimalist theme, and what I mean by minimalist theme is um, what we had was when we were on the Twitter one where we couldn't actually load a full page. So we could get to it, we could do it, but we couldn't actually functionally get to there. So what I'm talking about is I can get somewhere, I just I can't actually see everything's going on. So unfortunately, Dish Networks was forced to pay it back to only the most essential online presence when it became a ransomware victim. Detection, isolation, and containment are critical parts of security incident response. And these steps were clearly followed as dish, uh, Dish's issues unfolded. All right. So what we're looking at here then is the, um, I'm just looking at sort of the, 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 the public facing the, the website for, for Dish around there. But this impacted all their internal systems as well as some of their customer facing ones. Yeah, basically what we said they did, and there's nothing wrong with what they did, they actually just turned everything off or removed their connectivity. But it's kind of interesting to actually look at what happens from there. So everything's going across quite nicely. And then as you were pointing out in the last one, so I'm looking here at a page load test, everything sort of you know, falls off a cliff and we actually get to that point where we get no connectivity coming across there uh, whatsoever. Now, the, the difference in this one is that um, obviously this is a network related in terms of remove connectivity. I have my paths there and then when I actually go across, I don't have any connectivity whatsoever when I get in there. So interestingly, you can see, and I'll go back into this where we start to see some of the systems almost start to recover um, because again, so I sort of fall off a cliff, light switch moment, things go off, remove connectivity from there. 
while my understanding is we actually go through and we look and we start to sort of clean systems up and, and go through that process there. But then we start to get some of them coming back online after this period of time. So we start to see from here, we can see obviously still a, a vast amount of them having uh, connectivity issues, but we start to sort of come back on and get more um, connectivity. Again, I'm only talking to this, this front end system. Interestingly, when I start to actually see sort of what they were, when I look at those um, uh, to come in, to go into that, that uh, page load view as you were, to see from the waterfall diagram, what I saw was quite interesting is that I'm having connectivity and I'm coming in, but all I'm doing is effectively just loading a logo screen. So almost like a, a test card from the old TV systems where I'm there just to sort of test the transmission there, which I thought was kind of interesting. And, and the packet loss is actually quite interest, interesting as well. Yeah. So if you look at that, it lines up with the moment that they started advertising again or yep. when they started being online, which is kind of normal. Even if you go back to uh, HTTP server and page load, you can see like this really steps like looking recovery uh, going up. Uh, so you, you can obviously see there. Uh, so essentially imagine amount of traffic that hit the available resources at that time right it, it was probably a lot so you know uh, yeah. this infrastructure for quite some time was probably being hit by multiple requests probably more than it could handle it at this time uh, until like more resources got uh, spun up uh, depending whether they were on-prem or on cloud or regardless in this in this particular case right um, but it's actually quite interesting exercise and like you know uh, this is the example of the application that went off completely. Now uh, let's gradually figure out what what was happening. There was obviously remediation steps that were taken, and then you can quite clearly see that uh, this step effect of, you know, let's turn this up and then let's scale it up, uh, you know, as we go, and then you can exactly. see obviously full recovery. It's actually quite a good example on you know uh, what happens when these kinds of thing things happen. Yeah, I like that. So it wasn't just minimal online presences that were observed in the past period. We also saw instances where either harm minimization was used or where it would have benefited, impacted end users by limiting the duration of a disruption. The first of these incidents, uh, Akamai reported edge delivery DNS resolution errors on February 27th. This started around uh, 7 uh, p.m. UTC uh, and with a total duration of around 20 minutes. So Kamal, do you want to just take us through what we saw? Uh, gladly, my friend, uh, this is quite interesting event as part of as part of which we observe it again, uh, both in the uh, Internet Insights and we have a test that shows oh, what really went on. Uh, but in general, like, it was a short event, um, much shorter than the last big ACMA outage that we uh, extensively reported on. Uh, but here you can quite clearly see on the left hand side we have again regions United States United Kingdom Australia Germany and you can quite clearly see that we have a lot of locations in fact if I click on the um, metrical locations uh, we are going to see that there were like 53 different locations across the globe um, at various times during this event which means that this was a global outage now it does not surprise Akama is uh, one of the biggest if not the biggest uh, CDM provider out there, right? Um, yep. They are very famous for their uh, offline cash and what they do, and they are quite good at what they do. But when these things happen, yep. you know, they t tend to affect a lot of uh, 
customers, right? Or users for that matter. So in, if you look at the right-hand side, you can see that Salesforce, Microsoft, Subconcure, Oracle, Walmart, US Bank, SAP, and other companies were affected. In fact, like there's a quite big list of them. This was a short outage and uh, yeah. likely majority of the customers that were affected by this particular issue were not like uh, uh, doing anything to resolve it, this got auto resolved very quickly. However, yep. uh, last time uh, Akamai had similar outage, it lasted four hours, right? And now, yep. major like very uh, large financial customers uh, were affected as well. We saw that in the data, right? And if you are a financial customer, you are going to have uh, you know regulators to answer your questions, like what's with your redundancy, like what's the full toler tolerance plan, and stuff like that. Those are all really hard questions uh, to answer when you are yeah. getting pressed by the you know regular regulators right so having a plan for these kinds of things is really important during the last Akema event uh, I was actually studying it a little bit in in, in more details and there was quite clear distinction and what companies that handled this event did correctly versus these that were affected for a few hours that right so the companies that that responded to this event um, had quite clear mitigation plan uh, for this type of the event. And it was fairly simple, in fact. If you think about it, uh, Akamai not only does uh, C, um, CDN related stuff, they also do uh, DDoS uh, prevention related systems, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, don't get me wrong, it, uh, all other DDoS uh, prevention uh, companies and all other services similar to Akamai are prone to these things. It's just, yep. I'm not picking up on Akamai uh, for that matter. It's not just like just an example. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So essentially what companies did that responded to this type of the event um, correctly uh, was just to, you know, stop, stop advertising directly to Akamai. And in fact, like just use your regular transit, advertise it to the public internet. And, you know, from there, um, uh, from there, you know, uh, yes, you're going to expose yourself to DDoS, but at least, you know, what you're going to end up having is ability uh, for your customers to reach you uh, versus you like activity. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right, that was really interesting. We could probably go on for there for, for way too long. Um, but let's get to the final one. Um, and with that, I want to selfishly return to Australia. Uh, where Ticket Tech, uh, who an event ticket retailer, had an app reportedly failed to display the necessary ticket barcode. So the barcode on the bottom, that you had to scan for entry, entry into an entertainment venue. It was actually into the MCG, uh, and it was to watch Ed Sheeran, if you want to be down from there. So what this meant was the tickets couldn't be validated. Now, the nature of the issue suggests it was a back-end problem, potentially connectivity-related, because even the e-tickets that have been downloaded previously uh, couldn't be validated. So it was actually that authentication part. So was this a real barcode, or was it someone one someone who created around from there? Uh, and what it was doing was showing up as void or as an expired event, basically because of that connectivity issue. So, so that, again, was that back-end issue there. What I thought was brilliant was the response to this. So when I identified this was happening, um, what they actually did was they got people to, and I think it was sort of, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was, it was around 100,000 people, right, going into Ed Sheeran. Now, all, all of them, someone would have printed off their tickets previously, but a lot of them would have had them on the phone system. So what they did, they effectively mobilized all these printers and these people, and they had them going through and printing off the tickets. So even if we're talking sort of 20, 30,000 people to do this, they were able to identify quickly had this issue, 
which was the uh, this validation, which is the back end, assessed they couldn't resolve it in time to get people into the venue to see Ed Sheeran, and therefore then got this process in. And and although there was complaints about people having a queue to get in from there, everybody got into the venue, everybody was able to see that. So I just thought that was a really brilliant example of identifying a technical issue and then implementing a remediation plan that was a physical process. That's awesome. I, I mean, I'm I'm glad that people got to see Ed Sheeran. Like that, that's the most <laughs> important thing here. The the other other point there as well, though, I guess you know, on the, the the serious side of it is is what this does highlight is that we're actually again, you know, the the whole digitization of everything that's going around from there. We have uh, e wallets. Uh, we have sort of um, uh, you know pay systems on the phone. Uh, all require this uh, this validation system to go back and forth again talk about these multi-dependencies um so you know back to your previous point there this visibility being able to understand everything within our dependency or every dependency connected or not connected within that service delivery chain is now critical and then having a plan to mitigate it okay so that's our show don't forget to like subscribe and follow us on twitter at thousand eyes uh, as always if you have questions feedback good bad or ugly or references pop culture references i'll take them all or a guest you'd like to see uh, featured on the show send us a note at internet report at thousand so until next time goodbye